So today on the Sound Iron Podcast, we're joined by Chris Dudley. He's an American composer and multi-instrumentalist who is most known as the keyboardist in the multi-Grammy award-nominated band Under Oath. Pretty cool. And uh, you've been making your mark in the film scoring world. And uh, yeah, we're just looking forward to having you on the podcast and talk a little bit about your journey. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, of course. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I, I like to, I just like to uh, frame it as with the Grammy stuff. I just say I've, I've lost many Grammys, and uh, it makes makes me feel not so pretentious. Hey, man, getting nominated <laughs> is no small feat. It's an honor to be nominated. As yeah. Say. No, it's funny because if you get nominated but you don't win, they send you like these these little medals. Like it looks like a an Olympic medal. Yeah. And I've got them. I've got them hanging up in my uh, in my studio and. Uh, my son, he's, he's five. He comes in not long ago and he's like, he's like, he, he just likes to play with stuff in my studio. And he's like, Oh, what are these for dad? And, uh, I told him, I was like, Oh, well, you know, I got nominated for, a, for an award. So they, they gave it to me. He was like, well, what's nominated mean? And I was like, well, it means, uh, that I, they, I almost won, but I didn't. He was like, so they gave you a, an award for not winning. So, so you <laughs> lost. And I was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> wow. te- technically. And he was like, he's like, Oh, okay. And then he just like ran out and it made me feel real good <laughs> you're like oh that's that's funny that you said that no video games you're grounded yeah right <laughs> <laughs> first things first i mean i know that you've been you know getting into the film scoring stuff for a while and and we'll get to that but i want to talk a little bit about how you sort of got into music and playing in bands and, and doing that stuff so if you want to talk a little bit about that yeah, yeah. So I mean, I grew up in a really small town. You know, there wasn't really like a music scene or anything like that. A small Podunk, Florida town, lots of cows. Um, <laughs> so from where I grew up, doing any sort of entertainment was not like movies, music. That stuff wasn't stuff that we did. It was stuff that we watched and we listened to. Like it was just like worlds apart. But I uh, went to school with Underos Old Singer. Dallas, um, who is you know now one of my favorite people ever, and they had a uh, they had started a band, and I just kind of hung out with them all the time because I, I in our school the idea of like liking heavy music was not cool at all. Um, yeah. There was there was like five of us that were into heavy music in our school, and like our school was all like it was either country or rap, and there was no in between. So we just kind of hung out together a lot and there was a point in time I was a sophomore in high school and at that time our old singer was playing keyboards and singing at the same time and he he told me he was like hey you know we're either going to find a keyboardist or we're just not going to do keyboards anymore because I just don't want to do both and at the time you know I was I was a barely passable guitar player and I was like oh well you know good luck I hope you're able to find somebody (laughs) Uh, and they asked me to do it because they I was just kind of always around and they knew that I kind of sort of knew how to play guitar. So they, they were like, oh, well, you could do this if you know how to play guitar. You know, I was a kid in high school and I just joined a high school band and I was like, yeah, sure. And uh, that would that that was under oath. And we just kind of we just kept playing and it was just like this snowball thing and it, you know, ended up turning into my career, which is, uh, which is crazy. I know that, that that's not a very common thing to, you know, start playing in a band in high school and then be pushing 40 and still, you know, still having that be your career is, is, is wild. But as far as, you know, getting into music in general, you know, I just, I just grew up in a musical household and stumbled upon heavy music and it just, spoke to me in a way that nothing else had. I could go on, go through that story for another hour, but that's the, you know, that's the gist of it. What kind of music did you grow up around with your family? 
So uh, my mom was really into, uh, you know, Aretha Franklin. Um, you know, she listened to a lot of Heart. Uh, Melissa Etheridge. She really just liked strong female vocalists. Like that was just kind of her thing. And uh, my dad was really into, you know, a lot of classic rock stuff. You know, Thirty Eight Special, Dire Straits. Um, mm. But my uncle. Uh, he was around a lot, and he would he kind of leaned into at what at the time was the heavier end of things. You know, back in the eighties, it was you know Guns and Roses and ACDC and stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't like jamming like Iron Maiden or anything like that. But it was a it was a slow uh, a slow introduction to to heavier stuff. Um, and then my brother was really into uh, you know he was into hip hop. He was into uh, you know some heavier stuff. I, I heard. Uh, Allison Change for the first time because nice. he had he had bought their tape and he was jamming it in their room and uh, you know so it was a really wide variety of uh, of music and what was good is my parents really encouraged just well particularly my mom you know she really encouraged just finding what it is that I like and enjoying it um, you know because my stepdad was uh, you know he only listened to country basically so you know we had a lot of country Allison Chains. Napalm Death and Aretha Franklin jamming at, at any one point in time in our in our house. <laughs> nice, yeah, yeah. Man, Allison Chains is one of my favorite bands growing up. Like, I, I never really got too into the grunge scene, but Allison Chains was one of those bands because they they were kind of like borderline metal. Mm-hmm. You know, like when they were first coming out, it almost like was like heavy hard blues rock or something. But like they always had this like really dark, not quite full on metal, but you know, it's just like I don't know. They just had such a like dark and unique sound to them it's like yeah they're 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 super important to me for sure um you know that that dirt record when it came out was 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 a huge one and um you know it's it's funny because you know back then my mom she kind of went through a phase where she was uh, uh you know i was i was a teenager and you know just going through normal teenager stuff rebellious things nothing crazy but one, you know, at, at one point, my mom was convinced that the music that I was listening to was the reason that I was not behaving as well as she would have liked me to. Um, <laughs> and in hindsight, I was literally it was just the smallest stuff, like not taking out the trash when she asked me to and stuff like that. But she took away like a bunch of my music. And um, and what's funny is in the years since, you know, we've toured with you know, most of those bands that she took their music away because she was convinced that they were they were influencing me in a negative way and had to get that evil out of the house and all that uh. stuff. So like I'll always like, you know, if we tour with a band that she took away at that point, I'll like, you know, FaceTime her while we're like hanging out or something. I'm like, oh man, mom, the evil, the evil people, you know, and she she gets a kick out of it now because I think, you know, she recognizes that you know, maybe that was not the move back then, but you know, parents are always learning. So, yeah, like I said, Napalm Death is keeping you from taking out that trash. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was uh, Fear Factory, Earth Crisis, Napalm Death, Allison Chains, Snapcase, uh, a couple other bands. Yeah, she just mm-hmm. she she took it all. Um, and to to my mom's credit, she was cool. Like she actually she told me that I couldn't have that music anymore, but she also bought it all from me. Um, like she bought all of my tapes, all of my CDs, uh, because she didn't want to be that person. Um, she was like, I recognize that you spent a lot of money on this music and I don't want you to like be out that, but you know, I don't, I don't want you to have it anymore. Uh So that was 
cool, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, did she have, did she keep it or did she just get rid of them or? Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure. I think she she may have just chucked. She has them. she has her own uh, private collection. In the- oh, yeah, I was yeah. gonna say she On she's driving. Yeah, she's driving around <laughs> cranking some uh, Fear Factory. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Under Under Oath was massive in high school for me, like. 2004 2005 2006 that um that era i mean like under oath was the the pinnacle of that oh wow <laughs> like i grew up in uh tennessee like around chattanooga and um so all of the bands that we were playing in and like listening to and stuff were we're all trying to be under oath like it was oh like, that's awesome <laughs> it was very <laughs> it was very funny yeah, it's it's funny for me to hear those type of stories because um you know normally it is from people like it's from my my peers, you know, people my age or you know working in in film stuff or like bands that we're going on tour with. And it always makes me they're, they're always like, "Man, like I remember when I was young and you know listening to you guys and you know <laughs> still listening to you guys, blah blah blah." And they're like, man, but I, you know, I just would have assumed that you would be like older. And I'm like, well, no, we were just really young then, you know, yeah. like we, we were just out of, you know, I graduated high school in 2001. So, um, you know, we were all just, uh, we got started early. So it's, yeah. you know, but it's, it's cool for me to hear that stuff because, you know, I, I remember the bands and the, you know, the, the music that was such a big deal to me during those years and i you know i've had these same discussions with those artists being like hey you know it was just it was a really big deal and i don't want to be that guy and i don't want to like nerd out too hard but i just want you to know that like you know what you did was a big deal for me and uh, so to, so to hear anybody have that sort of uh relationship with our music too is is yeah it's it's really cool those formative years are very important for your musical like taste mm. Yep, 100%. And it, what's funny too is like going back, you know, when I when I go back and listen to the stuff that I listened to in high school, like music just has an insane way of just like taking you to a specific time, you know? Like mm-hmm. um, you know, and I've actually as I've gotten older, I have kind of put that to good use. Like I have a thing where if I'm going to a place that I've never been, like if we're if we're touring a country that I've never been to or whatever, I find an album that I have never heard before. And but I know is supposed to be really good, and I will only listen to that album when I am in that place, so that at some point in the future I go back and listen to that album and kind of use that as like, oh, I remember when I did this, or I remember being mm-hmm. here at this place. Um, and that's yeah, that's been a cool little experiment over the past like ten years or so, and it's it's worked. I mean, like you know, I've got certain albums that are they're spe- specific to a city, like, and that's been a uh, yeah, that's been really cool yeah that's that's very interesting yeah because music does have that ability to just kind of like transport you Mm -hmm. you're like oh i remember when you know it's like for me whenever i hear you know like injustice for all it's like i remember when i was a kid like discovering it for the first time and like trying to like copy the tape and like make my own and just like Mm -hmm. you know like hearing like um you know that song the oh yeah i was just like what is this you know (laughs) and it just it just takes me back to being a kid and and that's kind of like cool that's what's cool about that kind of stuff yeah have you had the uh, the i guess the inverse effect where there's an album that you were listening to a lot during like a not good time and then you hear it again you're just like i don't want to listen to that uh i mean not too too much 
It's the reason I hate Jack Johnson for like breakups. It's just every time <laughs> I hear Jack Johnson, I'm like, Ugh, it takes me to a bad place. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I don't, I don't personally have those. Like, I, I've got an album. Uh, there's this band called Mother's Day Out, and uh, they have an album that I listened to a lot back in the day. And it was, you know, around the time where my grandpa was sick, and there was, you know, all this like bad stuff going on, and like it takes me back to that but i still enjoy it like i still listen to it um you know not often because i i think objectively it's not a great album but it's it was just so important to me at a, at a particular time you're like i'll let all the bad stuff slide this is stuff still good so yes yes <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh my question actually is um the under oath breakup like 2013 what did you do from 2013 to 2015 uh, I was working from home doing, I, I like, I lucked out so hard. Like I always say that I've hit the life lottery like three times. Um, nice. you know, one of them being, you know, being able to play in my band and then my wife and family being as awesome as they are. And then also when we, when we broke up, my brother is, he's like a higher up at this company in DC. And basically it's, it's like nerd computer work, but they do like hardware support for like government contracts and stuff. And he hit me up and he's like, hey, you know, there's this position because uh, I because he knew I was really good with computers. And um, that was just something that I naturally leaned toward. He was like, we have this position that pays well and you work from home and you basically like help, you know, troubleshoot computers and schedule technicians and all this stuff. And it was just a, you know, a remote desk job. But it was honestly the sickest because I would just hang out in my office and talk to people on the phone and be on a computer all day and my kids would you know run in and out and I was able to hang out with them whenever I wanted and I take my lunch breaks and we'd go fly kites and it was like <laughs> it was cool man like I didn't hate it at all so yeah going from like a touring constantly kind of atmosphere to a stay at home work um that is like an interesting transition I was just curious because I saw like I was reading the the wiki and I was like what did what was Chris doing for those two? It's like two and a half years of not being a part of this band, and like it's such a big part of your identity as a musician. So I was curious if it was like the Paul McCartney after the Beatles breakup. Like, what's what do I do now? Just like a, an yeah. emotional negative place. Yeah, there was an odd man. I'll I'll, I'll still never forget because we didn't take a break. Like we broke up. And we were all convinced that th that we were never going to play together again. And we had this, like, you know, what we thought was our farewell show in Florida. And then I went home that night. And when I woke up in the morning, I'll never forget, I, I realized for the first time that, like, I was not Chris from Under Oath mm -hmm. anymore. And that was who I had been since high school. Like I realized like how much of my identity was kind of wrapped up in this band and this career. And that was a that was an odd thing. And I, you know, I don't know if I would necessarily say it was negative. It was just an odd realization that, like, hey, like now I am Chris, husband, father, you know, whatever work I end up doing, you know, I don't know if I'll necessarily identify with that. But it was, you know, I it was one hundred percent a really good thing that we that we did that because years later when we did decide to start doing some stuff together again, you know, it we we had all changed a lot personally and 
you know, that change was necessary for us to be able to do this long term. Um, you know, we, we had a lot of stuff we needed to work out. And, you know, when we broke up, everybody kind of split off. Yeah. And did uh, did their own things like ev- like wildly different things. But it was good. Like I, I look back on those years, like honestly, extremely fondly because I was able to be at home all the time, hang out with my wife and kids all the time. And uh, yeah, and, and honestly, just to be frank, like there's something about having just a nine to five gig that is really appealing, you know, not having to constantly be looking at like, okay, like what's the next tour going to be? When's the next album going to be? When's the next film going to be? Um, it's literally just, I'm going to sit here and do this work and then I'm going to go and have lunch, go and have dinner. And like my, my bills are going to be paid. So, yeah. you know, yeah, I, I, I dug it. Yeah. I think especially cause like the, just the touring life in general is just so grueling. You know, it's like awesome when you're doing it, but then you come home and, you know, you hear some people say they have like tour withdrawals or they're just like, Mm -hmm. they feel like I'm not, not doing anything that cool anymore. And you just start to kind of just like miss being out there, being on the road, but like, it's tough. And some people, I think, you know, it's harder for them to kind of go back to the nine to five. So that's cool that for you, it was actually like a refreshing experience. Yeah. It is a nice change when you're like, wow, like hunting for you know, I mean, I doubt you guys really had to like hunt for for tours very much, but like starting off in the early days, it's definitely mm-hmm. tough just because you're you're just out there, just like grinding, getting on every show and tour that you can until you know you have that sort of stability touring. Yeah, yeah, and I think because we had really only toured, like basically once we gra- graduated high school, literally like the following week we hit the road and we didn't stop <laughs> until we broke up. Wow. Um, so toward the end of that time, I I just grew to really dislike traveling. So for me, the idea of being at home and just hanging was was mm-hmm. it was great, you know. And that break that I now know was a break, you know, that we took really put a lot of stuff into perspective. Like because you know now when we tour, we have like a like a spoken agreement that we will only tour. Um, a a specific amount because, you know, we want to make sure that when we're out there, we're enjoying it Mm -hmm. and we're having fun because toward the end of that time before we broke up, like it was like the shows themselves, always awesome, like always having a great time. But it was like, it was just what we did. Like it was, it, it was like this machine that was going, it was like, you know, you write and then you record and then you tour for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like an obligation. Like, you know, I, I remember like toward the end when we'd be going to Europe, I would just be like, Oh gosh, like I, I don't want to leave home really. Like I want to just hang out. So, um, yeah, but it's, it's all perspective, man. Like, you know, now when we go out, I'm like, I'm out being a tourist. I'm out doing fun stuff. I'm like hitting up as many people as I can to, to hang out and just taking it all in. And I think that's a partially because of when we broke up, but also because we just don't tour as much anymore. So now it's like, we're thankful for it. Yeah. You took a sabbatical, you know, how professors take a sabbatical and they go travel. You took a sabbatical by staying home. Yes, which uh, which was great for me, but it wasn't as great for my wife because she really she just loves traveling, um, and she really like that's something that she just wanted to do immediately when we when we broke up. She was like, "Hey, we should like take the kids on vacation. We should go here. We should go there." And I was like, 
I want to be here. I don't want to go anywhere. And, you know, thankfully, we've kind of come full circle now where, you know, we're, we're both looking forward to, you know, taking the kids places and, you know, doing vacations and stuff. But uh, it was funny because, you know, for a while she was like, well, you got to go and do all this stuff. And yeah, I want to go and do stuff. And, I, and it was a little bit of a I wouldn't even say contentious thing, but there was definitely a, a, a misaligned desire as far as uh, travel went for a long time. Yeah, I could see that she's like, that's not fair. You get to go and like see all these cool places and yeah, know, it's but... work though. It's work. Yeah, yeah. And and she, you know, she used to come along a lot, um, nice. you know, before we had kids. But that well, you know, once we had kids, like, you know, it mm-hmm. just wasn't really possible anymore. So yeah. But overall, just, you know, super thankful. It's the fact that, you know, music has been my career for this long is is just nuts. So you went from self-taught keyboardist like oh this is how you trigger something this is maybe a major scale in high school to you just self-produced the newest under oath album and your film scoring so like that's a huge transition how did you did you get lessons in high school or like how how uh, on earth did you progress like this i really wish i would have honestly it would have saved me so much time and effort um you know really it's just trial and error on everything um you know again if i would have if i would have buckled down and got a year's worth of lessons at some point it probably would have saved me three years worth of figuring stuff out um so it's uh a lot of oh you know well what is this piece of equipment what does it do i'm going to turn a bunch of knobs until i figure out how it works and you know as as far as the you know the production on the album goes um you know i did all of my stuff but then you know other guys in the band are better with production as far as you know full band things go and you know we work with uh, our friend who's an engineer to kind of like smooth out some of those edges and uh yeah i mean all of us are literally just self-taught dudes that don't know a whole lot about music theory in general um you know we all we all know what we like we all know how to do what we do and uh you know when we come together you know i think cool stuff happens you know but as far as the film stuff goes uh, it, it was a very similar thing where um i knew that working in film is something that i wanted to do and I had talked about doing it for years. And um, very long story short, my wife one day just said, you know, well, why don't you just say that you do it and then see if something happens, you know? Mm-hmm. And I did. I, I said that I was opening up my studio for writing projects. And if anybody wanted to have me write on an album or a video game or a film or whatever, that I would uh, I would do that. And then from there, it was just a one of those things where I'm I'm building the bridge as the train's going across it sort of things. Uh, and, you know, but what makes me feel good is like now, you know, looking at interviews with, you know, some of my favorite film composers of all time, like it was a very similar thing where they're like, oh, I, there was a guy that had a short that he was working on and I just told him that I could do it and I had no idea what I was doing. And mm-hmm. now, you know, that's been years going on and the learning curve for the film stuff was huge um you know there was just so many skills and so many things that i didn't know but it's uh i got a youtube premium account so i never have to watch another youtube ad and i just dove in and years worth of just yeah teaching myself and um you know i'm still learning every day there's still a lot that i don't know but um you know i'm working on my sixth feature now and it's just been 
amazing, honestly. What are some things that that you learned? Like if if someone was, you know, trying to get into doing the same thing, like coming from the band background and getting into, you know, scoring and stuff. Like what what types of advice that that you learned along the way that that you would you know offer them? Where would you point them in the you know in the right direction, or what kind of advice would you? give them um so one thing that i always tell people is just to i i actually if if anybody's listening to this podcast and they want this just find me on you know contact me anyway i'm I'm super easy to reach on social media but i i scoured the internet to find uh clips of films that have the scores taken out action scenes romance scenes chase scenes you know whatever it is and I just started writing to those scenes, um, and I, ha- I still have the Dropbox. I still have all, all the all the clips, and I found out really quick like what worked and what didn't. And then I, there was a handful of YouTube channels that honestly really really helped. Um, Junkie XL has a YouTube channel that is a wealth of knowledge. Um, you could charge a high dollar for that info, and, and it would be worth it. Um, Christian Henson has an amazing YouTube channel that, that, you know, really gets into a lot of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I always point people in that direction, but you know, really the biggest advice that I always give is just start doing it, you know, drag a piece of, of video in and mess around, you know, figure out, you know, learn about spotting. Um, you know, that's obviously a big thing, you know, figuring out, okay, like, what kind of music should go here? What tempo should go here? You know, what should not go here? What instrumentation will work versus won't work? And yeah, it's just so much about just doing the work and repetition and writing 15 things that don't work. And then once you hit one that does, find out why why does that work? And why does this other one not? Keeping at it, you know? Mm-hmm. What, are, what are you, uh, what you know, for your composing, what, what DAW are you using? Logic. You're in Logic? Yeah, I was on Pro Tools forever. Um, Pro Tools was my first DAW back in, gosh, I think I got it in 2004. And then once I got into the film work, um, I was realizing how unintuitive Pro Tools was for virtual orchestration, you know, like Mm -hmm. writing solely in Pro Tools, specifically when you're doing a lot of MIDI stuff, um, VSTs, things like that. Because I had a couple friends that were working in Logic at the time and Cubase as well. Um, But I saw how much more user-friendly it was. Um, And it was honestly a big decision to jump DAWs because that's a a big Oh, yeah. Yeah. But what I realized was there were so many things where I'm like, oh, it's taking me eight seconds to do this thing in Pro Tools, but in Logic, it takes me three seconds. Mm-hmm. Very, a lot of very small things like that. And I was looking forward, and I'm like, if this is going to be my career moving forward for the long term, how much of my life am I going to waste on these small things when I could just – I'm starting now. Like this is – I literally switched – as soon as I started working in film stuff, I'm like, if I start now and just go from the ground up, then, you know, I'll have all these shortcuts. I'll have this stuff that works so much better. And then in 10 years, I will have saved months of work by doing this. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think I have. Yeah, it, it's always a scary thing when you're when you're switching DAWs, because like I started on Logic Pro 9 and I had a lot of friends that were using Cubase. And I was just like, but I spent all this time, you know, like, you know, when I first got Mac and in logic, I was just like going on YouTube, like how to record 
how to edit, how to do this, how to program, you know, like all these little like step input. I remember when I learned about that, I was like, oh, I don't actually have to like play in all this stuff because I was, you know, I'm, I'm not a good keyboardist, but I was like, oh, like you can actually just hit step input and do, 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 do. But it's cool because like once you sort of learn all those kind of like DAW fundamentals, it's pretty easy to kind of like transition those. Yes. Right into another DAW. It's just like, okay, instead of here, it's over here or it's name yeah. this you know? i got one of these things for logic i've had it forever but it's one of these like keyboard overlays nice. that shows all of the you know all of functions. the uh, functions all the shortcuts and all that i don't need it anymore because i know all of it now but i got it back when i first started yeah. um and uh, i'd recommend anybody getting one of those for you know any doll you're working in because there's you know so many things that were on here i'm like oh i didn't realize there was a shortcut for that like you know and it's yeah. just sitting there on the keyboard yeah you ever have you ever experimented with like touch osc or is it is it touch osc or uh, or like metagrid or do you ever experiment with any of those yeah i had some of that uh i there's another is it is it lemur yeah um, yeah lemur is yeah. another one yeah and then also i mean in logic there's a, a dedicated ipad remote app mm -hmm which does a lot of that stuff, um, mm -hmm. or most of it. And I use that for a while, but I uh, I don't really anymore because I have this thing. Um, let me see if I can pick it up here. Oh, hold on. So it's this thing called a console by uh, Monogram. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Monogram. Um, yeah, and I uh, basically all of my shortcuts, all of the, the the touch input things that I was using on an iPad on the side, I now have routed to physical knobs, uh, touch sensitive knobs, things like that. And for me, that just works a lot better for my workflow because I like being able to not have to look at it. Like I can have my one hand on the mouse and then be turning a knob or clicking a knob or you know, one of the, this round thing, it's like touch sensitive. So I can, I have that routed to all these like different X, Y things, uh, in different VSTs. So yeah, I, I nerd out really hard on that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been wanting to get a good controller for doing sort of X, Y type things. Cause I was looking at, um, I think it was lemur or, or touch OSC. Yeah. They have like where you can like program in like an X, Y pad and stuff and use it on, on an iPad. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'd be curious to try messing around with something like that for for an XY thing, because yeah, like I don't really like using them like with the the mod wheel and the little slider. Like yeah. some some contact libraries will have it where it's set up like that. Mm -hmm. But because something about actually being able to physically go in and out of you know the whole like XY thing, and especially when you're doing a lot of like sound design stuff. So so what's the what's the controller that you use for that for the XY stuff? Uh, it's called a Creative Console by Monogram. Mm -hmm. um, and what the thing is, is it's all here. I'll just take it for anybody who's watching the video. Like it's all modular. Yeah. So you can take it all apart and move stuff around. And like this thing here, it's uh, for anybody who's listening. It's like it's like a round. Uh, it's like a there's like a dial that turns around. And then the middle of it is is touch sensitive. And it you can go up, down, left, right. And you can go all around like that. Oh, wow. So, so I have that routed to the XY on like the thrill instrument the native instruments has uh ash light like uh, stray light all of those ni libraries that have that xy thing right in the middle i have it routed to this but it's also you know you can route anything to anything um like i have all kinds of keyboard shortcuts routed for create new virtual instrument track delete duplicate like all that stuff i, I have routed to different buttons and knobs and yeah it's just it's all about just improving speed for me
Yeah. Do you ever do you ever get into using the Stream Deck? No, I haven't. I've seen some other people using that, um, and I haven't looked into it much. And I'm not sure what I would use that for that I'm not already using the console for. But I would love to hear an argument for it because I I'm always like. I've got my my eyes wide open for any piece of gear or any program that's just going to make something easier. Like mm-hmm. shove yeah. it in my eyeballs. I want to see it. Yeah, the the Stream Deck. It's uh, I see this here. Yeah, I have the the smaller one, but dude, like I'm one of those guys that like you know I got MetaGrid on this. I'm using Stream Deck for that, or like having all these different things. Like I love that being able to kind of like even like mix and match different stuff. So like what do you usually use the stream deck for specifically. Mainly it's usually like day-to-day work stuff. Like I have even where like opens up file explorer or opens up like a notepad mm-hmm. or opens up, you know, if I'm using if I'm doing stuff in Affinity, or I even have stuff where it uh I can control my lighting so you can see it like change in the back. Yeah. Okay. You know, stuff like that. So it's like like little things or I have it where like um opens up contact or or something like that. Usually I use the the Stream Deck mostly now for like my day-to-day work stuff but it's just cool man because like you can you can program all kinds of stuff like especially if you're if you're doing any like live streaming you know you can have it integrate with uh obs and it's just a lot of a lot of really cool stuff you, you can you can get really crazy with it that's cool but like you can have like folders nested inside so if you're like oh, all right i have this one for you know for logic and then you click it and then it opens up all these other ones you can have like folders within folders okay so, you know so it's it's uh it's really i'm going to check into that specifically i'm sure that if i just go on youtube and type you know stream deck logic implementation um you know i'm sure that there's going to be like a million hacks in there for it and you you may, you may sell me on it <laughs> yeah cuz like the cool thing about it too cuz like you know using an ipad it's very like, you know, you're still like you're tapping on a screen. So mm-hmm. like I think for the, like with the monogram stuff, you know, if you're very like a tactile person, you like to physically touch things like it's cool because like, you know, when you push the buttons, it's like a physical button that you push. So it has that very nice like, you know, that mm-hmm. physical response, you know, if you're into that. And um, I am very much into physical response. Yeah. So it's just cool to like have that sort of thing where it's like you can physically push. So like if you do have like, let's say like three different commands here and you're like doing stuff and then you go like, all right, do, 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 you know, if you're like doing like a like fixing MIDI that you just played in and you have like certain things for just like lining stuff up or like randomizing it a little bit, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like it's it's definitely um, a fun thing to experiment with. And it's yeah, it definitely has its use. And then I'll I'll tell you from the opposite end, mine collects dust. <laughs> well may, maybe i'll hit you up if you uh if you want to sell it <laughs> right, right right exactly yeah. so could you tell us about a typical day in the life like a non-touring day and then a typical life touring day so let's say like a film scoring day maybe you're starting out a project and then a normal like touring day let's say you're in italy or something Got it. So uh, non-touring day, I'll wake up around eight or so. Um, You know, usually just whenever my kids wake up, I'll get up, uh, have breakfast with them. And then my studio is on my property, so I don't have to commute anywhere, which is good. So I'll just walk over to the studio and, you know, I'll take a look at, you know, because at any one time, you know, sometimes I'll be working on more than one thing at a time. Like what I like to do is have a like if I'm working on a feature, I like to have another project that I'm working on also, like whether it's something smaller, whether it's some sort of commercial thing or a short or something like that, because then if I hit a roadblock on either of those, I can just flip over to the other one. So yeah, so I'll usually look at, uh, you know, whichever one is the most pressing. 
and I, you know, I'll pull that up and start start working on it. Um, you know, I, I have a cue sheet that I work off of for, for every film. So I'm able to, you know, look at a spreadsheet to see like, okay, like how much music do I have to write? Uh, how much time do I have to write it in? And sometimes it'll just be like whatever I feel like, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I don't, there's this like super intense scene at the end that I'm not really feeling that, but there's this lighter scene toward the middle that uh, I think I could do something for that. So I'll work on that for couple hours, uh, you know, take a break, whether it's, you know, moving on to another project or what. I'll, I'll get interrupted about 10 times uh, throughout there with my kids or my wife coming in and <laughs> asking me questions or whatever, um, which I, I always welcome. It's it's my favorite. And then, uh, yeah, I'll basically work all day. Um, you know, I'm usually in pretty solid contact with whatever director I'm working with. Uh, you know, I like sending small ideas uh, to get feedback, uh, you know, to make sure that I'm going down the right path. Yeah, so I'll be texting, emailing throughout the day. And then I try to keep office hours. Like I try to start around nine and I try to be done around six just because I'm, I, you know, trying to keep a, keep a solid family mm-hmm. hang time as yeah. well. Um, you know, I'm not always really good at that. You know, sometimes I'll be working late if, if I, if I need to. Um, but yeah. And then I go to the movies at night, uh, or I'll, uh, hang out with my wife and watch some trash TV. Uh, you know, just <laughs> something to turn my brain off but yeah normally going to the movies at night if if uh, if there's something out that I want to see that's my that's my go to and then uh on tour it just depends on where we're at like like we just got our last headlining tour that we did uh, just got done in March of this year um and in the US normally my day will be waking up whenever my body wakes up that's probably one of my favorite things about being on tours i just sleep as long as i want every yeah there's day. plenty of time for that <laughs> yes. So I sleep till whenever I want. And then I wake up. First thing always is uh, I get on my phone and I look at Google Maps before I even get out of my bunk to see a where we are uh, and then see what coffee shops are around. Mm-hmm. So I get up, go get coffee, go get lunch. And then usually by the time I'm done with that, that'll be about sound check time. We'll sound check. And then usually between sound check and our show is a solid like six hours. So if I'm working on a film at that point, that's when I would go and set up my mobile studio to work, you know, wherever I can. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll get a day room, I'll go, I'll go to a hotel and, you know, set up in a hotel for the day. Uh, more often, I will find a room in the venue that's not being used and I'll go and uh, work there until showtime. But if I'm not working on a film, it's literally just hanging out, just chilling. Just finding something to do, yeah. uh, you know. I, I like connecting with people on, uh, you know, Instagram, Twitter, and you know, because a lot of times people will reach out, and be like, "Hey, you're coming to my city? Like, I'd love to grab a cup of coffee or something." And I almost always take people up on that. I like just kind of hanging, so I'll, you know, go meet up with somebody for coffee or go get lunch or dinner or whatever. Uh, hang out with the other bands on the tour. Hang out with my dudes. Uh, lots of FaceTiming with the family throughout the day and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we play usually between nine and ten o'clock, and and then uh, get done. And I'm usually the first one in bed. Um, you know, I'll usually be in bed by one or two, watching a movie in my bunk. Usually, that's how I'll go to sleep. So, yeah. <laughs> I got to hear about the mobile setup. Oh, uh, it's awesome. I actually, if you look this case right here that I'm pointing to for anybody who's who's just listening, it's a it's an SKB Fly Studio 
something. I forget the name of it, but it has a, you know, it's all contained in this one thing. It's got wheels on it. So if you set it flat on a table, the lid lifts off. My Everything lives in it. Like I don't ever take anything out of it. My laptop is on the top. I open that up and then you take the front off and there's drawers that come out. On one drawer is my SSDs for all my libraries, all the power supplies, things like that. My Apollo Twin X and then my CalDigit hub to run everything through. And then on the second drawer is my, I have a, since the monogram console is modular, I have a smaller configuration that I use for the road. So it'll be the console and then my MIDI controller, which um, it's the, I use the M audio or Oxygen Pro Mini. That's what it's called. So yeah, I have an Oxygen Pro Mini and yeah. And then I just work with the laptop screen, which is not ideal because I, I like having a multiple screen set up when I'm working on film stuff. But, um, you know, it's if it's between having a somewhat less than ideal setup and getting work done, j- albeit slower, or not getting work done at all, I'll, I'll normally take the, the first one. And then you're a trackpad guy? Uh, no, I have a – sorry, I have bring my Magic Mouse uh, on Magic Mouse the road. Um, I need nice. to get on the, uh, the trackball train, I think. Um, it's oh, just yeah. another – do you have one? Yeah, that's what I got right here. I got the uh, the Kensington. Mm-hmm. There's a, a few different ones. They have like some smaller ones and stuff. But yeah, the, I started using this because I hate doing this with a mouse. Like, sh- 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 and I started getting uh, wrist pains. So with this, it's just literally, I just it's it's almost like using a the the was it the the magic pads? Yes. It's almost kind of like that, but almost like a blend between that and like a an actual mouse. And it's cool because there's four different buttons on it. And technically, it's almost like six buttons because it, there's different things that you can assign to this, too. So if there's stuff like deleting things or adding stuff, like I have stuff where I can uh, open and close like uh, instruments mm-hmm. and like delete stuff. Or like if I push two buttons, I can open up my mixer. So the, if you're doing stuff on like the laptop and you just got the one screen, you know, you can have it where it, like opens up and closes, you know, the picture, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Or like just really, it's really handy because you, you don't have to leave anywhere. It's just mm-hmm. right here. Yeah, so. I, I'm going to do that at some point. But I feel like moving to a trackball is a similar commitment from like changing DAWs because I've I've always used a Magic Mouse. I just really, I just like it. Yeah. But there's a lot of people that I know that know what they're talking about that said that once they switch to a trackball, they're like, oh, it's a game changer. Like it takes some getting used to, but then you would never want to go back. So yeah, eh, maybe one of these days. I, it's it's low on my list of things to do at the moment. <laughs> yeah. If it's not broken, don't fix it. And then headphones? What headphones are you using? Oh, I have, uh, when I'm on the road, I have, I use my in-ears, uh, the ones that I use on stage. Um, they are... 68 audio a i think they're a12s um 12 driver in-ears killer yeah because uh the, one of the main reasons i use those is because it's it's complete they're completely isolating um so if i'm in a loud dressing room or if i'm in a, a hallway or wherever i'm working like i if i if i were using these headphones which i love they're the the uh, DT 770s, the mm-hmm. uh, better dynamic. If I were using these, I wouldn't be able to work because, you know, I would just be hearing everything all the time. Yeah. And, open uh, back. Yeah. So you're a movie buff. What's, what are some movies that you've enjoyed this year? Oh man. Um, Oh, now that I'm on the spot, uh, I, I really love the night house. Um, I thought that that was, that was 
great. Top Gun Maverick is probably the most fun I've had in the movies in the, the past. most American movie. Oh, dude, it's <laughs> so fun. I I had such a good time. Um, I thought Men was wild. That was just very unexpected. Uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. I was in awe of. Um, as I was sitting in the theater, it was it was one of those things where there's a handful of movies I can remember where when I was watching them in the theater, I was like, oh, I'm seeing something special that I've never seen before, and I'm going to remember watching this for a very long time. And that was that that movie for me. Nice. Are you on Letterboxd? No, I need to be. Um, yeah, but you should, I, for sure. I know. I just feel like uh, that that would just be another thing that I would need to keep up with on my phone, and I kind of don't. I kind of don't need that. Uh, I'm tr- I'm trying to to shrink the amount of things that I'm having to. Yeah, I'm with you. For yeah. What about you guys? Did you watch RRR on Netflix? No, I heard it was great though. It's wild. I just we talked about that last week, and it's uh, it's absurd. But it, you should definitely check it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been uh, getting into the Apple Plus. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff on there. Yeah, because I saw there was I uh, I watched like the first episode of the show called The Servant. And oh yeah! Like, I was like, man, this show's kind of there's some twisted stuff going on. So I've been like slowly kind of chipping away at that. And um, uh, on a lighter side, I actually just started watching this show. I, I think it's on Hulu. It's called This Fool, and it's yeah, hola- yeah. it's hilarious. It's, yes, yeah. Especially like if I don't know if you just like stupid funny humor. It's yep. yeah. It's it's really good. It's just yeah. It's it's dumb, but it's so funny. It's set in uh, South Los Angeles. And I spent some time there, so it's like especially on point. <laughs> yeah, it's just like all the all the humor and stuff. Like it's just stuff that I grew up around in. You know, like just I have a lot of a lot of friends who are Mexican and stuff. And just growing up, like where I lived, like that kind of humor is everywhere. So it, like for me, I'm just like, <clears throat> yeah. yeah, that's awesome. H- have you guys seen the rehearsal? <laughs> I watched the first twenty minutes. I had to turn it off. <laughs> It was it was so it was so uncomfortable, good. man. <laughs> it is one of the best things I've ever seen. Like, if you didn't get through the first episode and didn't see the second episode, you have no clue how <laughs> how much more happens. It how much is, more pain? It is incredible. Like, I don't think I've heard of that one actually. Oh, it's on it's, HBO HBO Max. Nathan Fielder. Yeah, do you know Nathan Fielder? Mm-mm. Okay, he does this show called Nathan for You, which is a, another great show. But th- this is like his magnum opus. The rehearsal is oh, I yeah. I can't recommend it enough. It's amazing. So it it, it awkwarded you out, Nathan? Freaked you out? Let's go. Like I, I I don't know much about it, so I'm like I'm I'm intrigued now to see like I loved the premise, but it's he's basically like rehearsing uncomfortable situations with people and like helping them by practicing it beforehand. Oh, okay. So I love the idea of it, but <laughs> just the actual execution is just, uh, you would not, I don't think you would like it if, yeah. cause you don't really like British comedy at all. Like, oh yeah. I think you'd have a hard time, but Craig, how about this? Watch, <laughs> watch the, watch the first episode. Okay. And then hit me up and let me know what you think. Cause I, I am just screaming about this show from the rooftops. My wife hates it. She, <laughs> she gets like actually aggravated when I put it on because she's like, oh, because she views it as something she has to endure, which yeah. it kind of is. But um, I, I love how divisive it is. Like people who love it, love it. It's and polarizing. Who, yeah. And people who hate it. I, I think understandably, like really, really hate it. But it's it, it. People agree that like 
it is one of the most weird. Uh, it's 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 weird, and it goes so. I know you only watched half of the first episode, but it goes so f- much further than what you saw that, like, <laughs> at the end of like the third episode, I was like, I was watching it, and me and my wife were watching it together, and I was like, I feel like I'm high right now, like, oh. I, <laughs> like, and like, am I watching? Not to give anything away, but I'm like, is this him or is this an actor or? Are, what situation are they in now? Like, and there's all this stuff going on where I was just, I had my hands on my head at one point. And I was like, what is happening? It's, yeah, I love it. So, yeah, you sucked in. Better call Saul. Any of you guys watching that? I'm not up to date. I'm way behind. Oh, come on. So, I have not seen an episode of Better Call Saul. And that honestly excites me because I know from everybody that I've talked to about it that it's, mm-hmm probably one of the better television shows of the past 10 years. Yeah. Um, and knowing that I just have an entire series of some of the best television ever in front of me is, uh, is pretty exciting, but I just haven't gotten into it yet. Yeah. Well, they're, they're about to do the last episode tonight. So after this, maybe I'll finale. just hop in there and then I'll work my way back. You know, that, I'm sure that'll work. Right? <laughs> the best show I've seen this whole year is called the bear on Hulu. Ooh, yeah. I watched the first two episodes. It's so good. Yeah, it's really well done. Like back of house Chicago cooking. It's a lot of a lot of fun. Shot really well. What I love about that show is like there's not a ton of like promo happening for it, but everybody's just talking about it. And that's so encouraging that there's just a piece of art out there that is just objectively very very good and people are just like spreading the word about it and it's yeah. like picking up steam and yeah i'm 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 stoked on that one speaking of art could you tell us about a personal project you're excited about oh uh actually i i this is top of mind because i literally just launched it today but um i launched uh remote lesson sessions uh today oh, because cool. i i had a guy this is about six months ago. He messaged me on Instagram and he was like, hey, um, I want to learn how to do what you do. And um, I would love for you to teach me what would it take to make that happen? And like, I that was never even a thing in my brain of like teaching people anything because I feel like I'm always just trying to learn everything. Yeah. And we had worked out some details and... I worked with him for a couple weeks and it was all remote and we you know we ironed out the you know the technical kinks and whatnot and it was honestly awesome like he had specific questions about things and then um I taught him some stuff and then he would go back and he would make a a song or you know a cue or whatever and then the next week he would send it to me and then we would go over it the following week. And it was thing where we were just going back and forth and he was learning all this stuff. Like he wanted to know how to use compressors and you know, how to spot a film and like just all these different things. And at the end of it, I was like, that was really cool. Like it was such a, for me, it was rewarding because I was able to like help someone along and what it is that they do. And honestly, it wasn't super hard because like I just, I had to figure out all the tech stuff and that was a lot. Yeah. Uh, but now that that's all in place, um, I decided to just open that up to anyone who's interested. Mm-hmm. And um, I launched that this uh, about two hours ago as oh, we're wow. recording this. And I've already got like a whole calendar of people who have already signed up. So okay. I'm really stoked to jump into that because, um, you know, it, what the thing that's cool 
is I have a thing on the sign-up sheet where you know I have this questionnaire of like, you know, are you a musician? Um, how how uh, experienced are you? So like I've got anywhere from like people who they don't have a, a DAW yet and they are wanting to get into like making electronic music to people who are like pros in their field and have specific things that they want to like be able to focus in on. So it's, yeah, it's, I think it's going to be pretty exciting. You know, when you say personal project, that's the most personal thing I have going on right now. Cause uh, you know, all my other stuff is film work and whatnot, which is, you know, all very cool, but uh, you know, definitely stuff I've done and this is just something new for me. So it's, yeah, I'm super stoked on it. Yeah. The cool thing about that is, you know, especially with like what you were saying, how you're, you're more used to just learning and just trying to learn stuff. The thing about teaching that's cool is like you learn so much more about what you do mm-hmm. when teaching somebody. So teaching someone is like such a great way of even just kind of like reinforcing ideas or thinking about the way you do stuff, you know, especially when you're trying to explain it. You analyze what you do like a little bit more because now you're trying to like convey that knowledge. Yes. So I, I think if anything, it's it's going to be super rewarding, you know, for you and for the for the people. So that's that's really cool, man. Yeah, I'm I'm super stoked on it. And also, it's one of those things where I'm like, I hope it works well. Um, you know, I hope people enjoy it. And um, you know, I guess time will tell. But uh, yeah, that launched today, so we'll we'll see. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about was um, the orphan first kill. So mm-hmm. that that seems like a really cool, you know, pretty big project. How did you get brought on? Because you were uh, doing some additional com- composition for that, or yeah, yeah. So um, that happened because uh, so the the head the, like the main composer on that uh, his name's Brett. We've known each other for years. Um, you know, we both come from a band background, and you know, we both got into scoring film. And it, it's one of those. He's one of those guys where you know we were keeping a similar schedule in the months leading up to me being brought on, and. Uh, you know, I, he would be texting me. He was like, hey, what do you use for this? You know, I'm sure everybody has those guys where they, you know, mm-hmm. you just go back and forth. You're like, hey, like, uh, I'm trying to do this thing. Like, what would you do? Or like, hey, do you have a good library for this? Like, what would you recommend? Or, you know, just venting about like, oh, man, like, this is not going well, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And um, one night he hit me up and he was like, hey, you know, we're coming to the finish line on this thing. Uh, but I need some help and, you know, we're already talking to each other all the time anyway, you know, would your schedule allow you to hop on to this film for the next, you know, at the time I thought it was going to be like two weeks and ended up being like five weeks of work, but he's like, would you, would you be able to hop on and basically bring the film over the finish line? And I was like, yeah, like I like the first film and, you know, I thought that the idea for the second one was really cool and I know Brett, you know, is great at what he does and it was great because, you know, the way that he writes is very, um, writes in specific tempos and specific keys. So a lot of the stuff can kind of be like Legoed around. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I would get specific uh, sections of the film. And then I had a, uh, you know, all the files for all the score that he had written up until that point. And it was like a, hey, here's this, you know, what a, this big section, the, the, you know, the, these three or four big sections of the film use what I have. And then any, if there's anything that's not working, just write it. 
And it was honestly a great experience, um, you know, because I was able to, you know, uh, listen to the cues that he had. And I'm like, oh, the percussion for this one is great. But I think that the the string should do this other thing. So I would like bring in his percussion. I would write a thing on top of it or, you know, just I would hear something that he might not hear in a cue that he already had where I'm like, oh, this would work great here. Why don't we just move it? in and use it there. Or there'd be a section where I'm like, we don't really have anything that works good for this. So I would just write that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, honestly, just working with him was was probably my favorite part of it because we had been talking about doing something for so long. And uh, it turned out really cool. I'm I'm stoked on how the film turned out in general. I haven't seen it with all you know the final like VFX and everything. I'm gonna go see it on on Thursday night uh, here, and that'll be my first time seeing it with all that. So I'm, I'm curious to see how it all turns out. But it is equally uh, it takes an equal wild turn at a point in the film, which I yeah. think is is cool as, as a, the first one. Um, yeah, there's stuff that uh, I was not expecting. So because I watched it when he first sent it over just to kind of get an idea. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like I was not expecting that. So yeah, it's 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 rad. I like it a lot. That's awesome, man. It's really cool. Thursday night, I'll, uh, my oldest daughter wants to go see it. And I'm, I'm still uh, I'm still trying to determine if I'm uh, if I'm going to bring her with me because it's a little it's a little much. Yeah, right? thirteen, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It it would be a cool experience to be able to go and take her to see a movie that I that I worked on in a theater. But yeah, um, yeah, it might just be might be a little too much. I might go by myself. You can do the the classic <laughs> eye cover thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> I'll I'll yeah. know when the when the when the bad stuff's coming. Yeah, close your eyes and cover your ears. It's about yeah. to get weird. <laughs> Are you uh, are you putting the kids to work? Are they learning music and uh, going to be studio assistants soon? Man, it's it's funny. Like they have you know every opportunity to you know get into music if they if they please, uh, but neither of them are my oldest anyway. Uh, our our two daughters, uh, you know, neither of them have really taken a huge musical interest. Um, they both love dancing. That's like they're in like. 19 dance classes or something crazy <laughs> they're, they're really into that my oldest is you know really getting into coding lately so she's you know right. nerding out on that stuff which i think is rad mm-hmm. um my my son he's about to be six he really likes coming in here and just making beats like when, when he'll come in and i'll just get like a a machine or a damaged drum kit mapped to the keyboard and he, and he'll just you know hit stuff and he's actually like I've been teaching him like beats, like actually like how to, you know, different time signatures. I taught him how to do a, a slow paradiddle and he thinks it's super cool. Um, so yeah, I think he probably shows the most interest out of any of them. Oh, I cool. watched you, I watched your Instagram video about the core memory, my son finding out what I do or whatever. Oh just, yeah. That was, it. yeah, that was uh, I'll never forget that night. That was a very, very cool thing. Cause my, that, that video, um, cause like on that tour, I was up on this riser, but there's only there's only one way to get on and off, which is like behind me. And there's this little like cove that you can't really see. And uh, my my tech, so he would lean around the riser like every like two songs or so to check to make sure that everything was working properly. So he would he would give me like a thumbs up, and I would give him a thumbs up if everything's good, or I would like tell him, hey, something needs to get fixed or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
my son is was like as far as my eye line goes directly behind whenever my tech would come around so my son just sees me doing a thumbs up in his general direction every like two songs or so <laughs> So he just started like throwing me a thumbs up like anytime <laughs> I was even remotely looking over there. And it was uh yeah, it was it was magic. It was yeah, it was, it was really cute cool. as hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you have like a, a stretching regimen or anything you do beforehand? Your your show um persona is very intense. You got a lot of moves. Oh yeah, not not on purpose, but I just I act <laughs> like an idiot. But um yeah, no, I stretch my neck a lot uh because my neck is um it's it's kind of toast. Um, it's not as young as it used to be. No, it's 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 trash for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, stretch stretch my neck a lot. Uh, try to stretch my hamstrings a good bit because they're really tight anyway. And I've hurt my back like twice on tour, and it's it's like the worst. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, yeah, no, nothing like super super crazy. I just try to I try to stretch and warm up enough to just to where I won't hurt myself, but no more. Yeah, no backflips on stage. Oh yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not that agile at all. I'm, yeah, especially when like you're you're you know doing the home studio thing, and you're you know you're just sitting like this. Like I remember because um, I recently played some some shows, and I haven't played live in like ten years. So like I can only imagine you know like what it's like you know being, and I'm not even that active like you. So it's like you know it's like that that scary thing of you know especially taking a break and then like coming back. Like was that like how was that for you when you know when you guys were like making the return? kind of like man do i still got it i don't know like like what if you know some happens or you know you pull something because that was my my fear like what if i just fall over or something like just get <laughs> just dizzy or something i don't know it's like yeah yeah no that was a real thing like i remember when we got back together to play our first show we decided because we had there's this venue in florida that we had a, we had the show booked it was called uh it's called Janice Live, and it's like a—I think it's like a three thousand cap venue. But we realized that we hadn't played together in literal years, mm-hmm. so we we're like, we don't want our first time back on stage to be like on like a real stage in front of you know people who are really paying attention. So we decided to book this like this secret show in this bar like right down the street from it that holds like one hundred and fifty people. Nice. Um, I recently saw a video from that, and it's funny because we were sound checking and I was just like, man, this, this seems so foreign. I mean, I'm sure Craig, you can relate from like not having, you know, you were not playing live for 10 years. It was only like three for me, but I was like, man, I don't know if, if this still feels correct. Yeah. And then it was about literally 30 seconds into the first song. I was just like, Oh yes, this is what I do. And it was, it was a real quick thing. And I was just like, Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Like this, this just, this just works. So, yeah. yeah. Were you nervous at all? Or how, how did you feel kind of leading up? Was it more like nerves of just hoping that it was you know going to go as smooth as you had hoped? Or because I mean, I would think, you know, playing in front of a lot of people you, you, over time, like that's almost kind of like a numbing thing. But it's more like, was it were you like nervous at all in, in that way? Or just kind of like the, the not knowing of how it was going to turn out? Uh, I think it was a combination of of nerves, but it, excitement. You know, yeah. just something particularly like if you're playing a very small place like that, you know, people, it's just a different vibe. And, you know, I, I still remember that show like we mm. uh, it was we were just I'm just like standing there. I was like, hey, this is going to get it's going to get wild. And it did. It was it was an insanity. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, mostly excitement, but also the, uh, a little bit of hesitation. But, you know, all that hesitation was gone within the first like. 
30 seconds. So that was, that was good. And it, it, there's a point I saw a video of the show where, where I can see the moment where I was like, Oh, like, cause I, I turned around and a friend of mine was standing behind me and I was just like, Oh, it's just like riding a bike. Yeah. And, uh, and then I was like, Oh, I'm fine. Yeah. It, it's crazy how, how it is really, really much like that because it's funny. I feel like playing in, in front of smaller crowds is more nerve wracking than bigger crowds. Like, I don't know if, if, I mean, for some people it's, you know, five people or, or, you know, 500 people can still be the same nervous for them. Mm-hmm. But it was weird because I felt like I've been more nervous sometimes playing in front of like smaller crowds because it is so intimate. And like, you almost feel like, you know, there's just like right there and you can see, but like when it's like more people, it's like almost like a blurred effect. It's just kind of like, okay, like I'm just doing this thing and you don't really like, at least for me, like I don't quite connect that, you know, even though there's more eyes, it's, I don't know, it's kind of yeah. weird. Yeah, so for me, normally, my my nerve rating is 100% dependent upon who I know is watching. And like if we're playing and there's like family there or like really close friends, I get a lot more nervous because it's a similar thing where you're like, I know specific people are looking at me right now. Yeah. Whereas if we're on tour and we're like in whatever city and there's, you know, however many thousands of people, but it's just like, it's just heads and bodies. Yeah. Then it's like, oh, I these people don't know me. I don't know them. I'm just going to go out and have fun. And it's, it's like a, it's, it's fine. Yeah. The size of a crowd for me, it's not really a a factor. It's more so like, or, you know, if we're playing a a fest and I know that there's like a band that I love that is like going to watch us play, like I'll get nervous for that. Like that, those it's, yeah, it's about the people that I know are there, not necessarily the amount of people that are there. Do you guys watch your own performance footage back? Like a comedian watches his own set or like a, sports player watches game footage the only time that we will do that like we don't do it like as a group or like Together, officially. Yeah. yeah it's more so if we are doing some sort of new production element like whether it's you know some sort of new led thing or a new lighting idea or whatever we'll look at videos to see how those things are coming across mm-hmm. um but that's it like we don't if we could have those same videos without us in it we would watch we'd prefer to watch those but we're just a unfortunate byproduct of needing to be in those videos so yeah we're, hmm. we're not fans of watching our ourselves you guys really stepped up like with the live streams um in the past couple of years and like really put a lot of investment into those videos Mm -hmm. was was that a fun process or was that mostly just like work uh no it was super uh rewarding creatively um yeah it was obviously like every band in the world we had tours that were booked uh you know pre-covid and that ended up not happening but then you know the live stream thing you know, we had seen like one or two bands do live streams, but they were just like super awkward. And, you know, we, we were like, if that's what sad doing a live stream is, then we're not going to do that. We're just going to wait this thing out. But then we, uh, we did some brainstorming and we came up with some ideas that, uh, you know, we thought would be able to get at least the general vibe across that we wanted to get, you know, we wanted it to feel like it was a performance and wanted it to feel like, you know, a mix between being there live and like it being like a music video. And once we had nailed that, you know, it was just, it was, yeah, very rewarding. And people, it was nothing but positive response, which was great. Although I will say the first live stream show that we did was the most nervous I have ever been. And I I can speak for Spencer, our singer as well, because he said the same thing, never been more nervous to play 
any show in our lives. Oh, wow. Um, because there is just, you know, like Craig, you were talking about if you're playing a small venue, you know that people are just like sitting there watching and they can just like see you. Mm-hmm. The idea of putting on this show, but knowing that everybody is just sitting in their living rooms or sitting at their computer and listening on headphones or like laptop speakers and they're hearing every little thing. Yeah. And there's not a vibe in the room of of a crowd. There's not that energy, that, that reciprocal energy with a crowd that kind of gets you going and all that yes yeah there there was not that but you know we we had designed our stage with that in mind like we wanted like the the stage that we did the first one on it was completely round and all the cameras were set up in the middle and everything because we wanted to be able to play off of each other and like have that be where the energy comes from Mm -hmm. but more so like when, when you're playing live there's you know there's just live sound. You can get away with a lot, you know, like if you're hitting a couple wrong notes, it's like fine because it's like just loud and blaring and whatever. But knowing that everybody was going to hear every note and everything was being recorded and it was going to live on the internet forever. <laughs> All of that put together, like, and also right before the set, like we were just in this air conditioned studio and there's no crowd there's no like pre-show like hype music that we would normally have it's just like in a quiet room like a guy being like okay two minutes and we're just like are we supposed to go and just like give it right now and and it ended up working out great like i could not be more happy with how all of those things turned out but yeah it it turned out nice yeah thank you you guys just got to like just shake each other and just like get everyone all hyped up. Like, come on, man, let's go. <laughs> That's literally what we did. Like if there were footage of us like a, a backstage, quote unquote, before we did those, it would have looked ridiculous. Like yeah. me, me and our singer have this thing that we always do before we go out on stage. It's it's the dumbest thing. Um, but normally we're doing it, uh, you know, behind the stage when there's all kinds of people waiting for us and there's like set change music playing and it's like funny but us doing it in a quiet air-conditioned studio must have just looked so stupid <laughs> it's, it's funny uh one one thing that i was always doing to my singer when when we were playing these shows they're like all right two minutes before you guys got to play and i was like hey, is it too late to go home yes. oh, wow. <laughs> is, it, is it too late to back out no all right fine i gotta do it <laughs> i always just have to pee at the last second always yeah yeah, yeah those that's the worst yes you're just like <laughs> I got to use the bathroom. I got, I'll be right back. And they're like, oh, you got two minutes. I'll be right back. Oh, God. <laughs> I just have a few. It's rapid fire on our part. It doesn't have to be rapid fire on, on yours, but they're just quick questions. The first one is, do you have a best recent purchase under $100? Oh, um, this thing. Um, it is a one of those magnetic wallet things that goes on the back of your iPhone that's like MagSafe. I keep my debit card and my license in it and it's only big enough for two cards and since i bought this i have not carried my wallet anywhere and it's been great it was like 15 bucks and i never have to carry my wallet anywhere that's perfect crazy. uh the next one is a favorite youtube channel podcast or tv show at the moment uh i think severance is probably the best show on television currently uh if you have not seen it you should watch it 
if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. And I'll also say I just got done listening to a podcast called The Dream, which is uh, it's a, basically a deep dive on uh, pyramid schemes. They, they call I've them multi-level mark. Yeah. So, yeah, that stuff always fascinates me, um, you know, because you see so many people on Facebook doing that sort of thing. And um, mm-hmm. they really go deep on it, which I, I thought that was a really, a really cool, uh, really cool podcast. Did you watch Lula Rich on Amazon Prime? No. It's about the LuLaRoe company. You should definitely watch it. If you like that podcast, you got to watch it. Okay. No, yeah. If there's anything having to do with MLMs, I'm I'm in. I I, I browse the anti-MLM Reddit sometimes. Same. It's just it's fascinating. And I think my fascination with MLMs is similar to my fascination with cults where it's like I just mm-hmm. want to know how what gets people what what makes people tick in those situations, you know? So yeah, yeah, Craig and I have been talking about that a lot recently, just like tribalism in everything, like Apple versus Android and mm-hmm. AMD versus NVIDIA. And like everything is like, oh, well, I'm part of this identity. I'm part of this tribe. And so we hate you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's like charismatic personality versus someone who is missing something and desperately needs to find it. And they'll find it in anything that hooks them, you know? Yep. You saw the WeWork documentary, right? Mm-mm. Yes. Oh, Craig, you should watch it. It's yeah. awesome. Like, <laughs> awesome. It, everything you just said is exactly uh, the WeWork documentary. Oh, crazy. It's, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the, the crazy thing about all of it is just the extreme rise and then the just tank, the fall, is like that whole thing is just captivating to, to watch. It's like a slow yeah, the whole uh, the, train the whole Theranos uh, situation is similar, which I, I I love that. It's less a little less culty, but still fascinating. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. I got my work cut out for me after this podcast, man. You guys got me watching all kinds of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all right, my last question for you is: uh, What goals do you see yourself achieving in the next couple of years? What's next for Chris? Oh, goals. Um, I guess a, a, a somewhat silly but also kind of realistic goal. Uh, I've said that I would love to be watching something on a streaming channel, whether it's a, a documentary or a movie or whatever. And because I, whenever they have the, the the subtitles where it says "ominous music plays," mm-hmm. I always tell my wife, "I'm like, I'd love to have my own ominous music plays one day. Like being able to work on something like that. I, I think would just be, it would just be a silly personal goal, but it would be <laughs> something to me." Um, I think you're super close to that. I mean, I hope so. We'll we'll yeah. see. We'll see. Um, but uh, yeah, so that and honestly, I just want to um, keep scoring films until i'm elderly like that's more of a long-term goal but i'm just trying to uh trying to continue doing this that's that's what i want love it man yeah i think you're gonna do it we'll see we'll see you know it's uh yeah it's it's a it's a wild industry but uh, i'm doing my best and you know worst case is uh next couple years it doesn't work out and then i say okay well i i did something cool and now i can uh pivot to i don't know whatever maybe maybe i'll just be giving lessons I'll, I'll just be a teacher from here on out if this whole lessons thing works out well <laughs> yeah yeah I'm, I'm really excited to to see how that how that goes for you man you definitely gotta let me know like yeah that might crash really and burn cool. too but hey you know it's the, the showbiz baby <laughs> yeah yeah man you gotta you gotta try try and apply if it doesn't work you know find that there we go yes exactly well dude it's been a pleasure to have you on man it's been cool to hang out and chat and just talk about all the stuff that's going on and definitely looking forward to seeing everything that you got going on and the lesson stuff. Good luck with all that. And All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right, Chris. We'll catch you soon, man. All right. Take care. Peace.